Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. Last week I, I had the pleasure, Amanda was doing some self-care last week and I talked with a previous colleague of my own. Um, her name was Kelsey Beal and we talked all about how trauma can impact our sense of self and the different ways that we show up in the world. So check that out from last week. So today we have someone who was very formative in Amanda's own social work career development, and it is Jean Roberts. So welcome, Jean, and thank you for joining us. Thanks. For having me, I'm excited about the conversation. I am so excited to be here. Me and Jean haven't like been in a room or had a, like a conversation in, I don't know, at least five years, if not more than that so this is super been exciting too long <laughs> um Jean can you just give kind of like an intro your background your current roles as far as wellness and you know whatever you feel comfortable sharing sure of course so uh, I grew up in Worcester Ohio so um close to close to where I think you both are um and I know you've got listeners from all over um so my background was actually I went to Bluffton University and I studied um basically focused on studying consumer psychology. It was in the family and consumer science program, um, but I really thought it was interesting to learn more about why people made the decisions they made, really more on a retail perspective, but it ended up being really important to my career in a broader sense. Um, I graduated during the time where the economy was not wonderful, so I moved back home um, and started working with a family, local family business in town and really enjoyed that, but just decided I really have always had this kind of entrepreneurial drive, I guess, and wanted to start my own business. It was a tough time to do that, but I learned a lot from the experience. My my business partner at the time still does something very similar today, so she's still kind of keeping that rolling. But we basically advised uh, smaller retail stores on how to set up their floors. Um, and then by chance, my mom saw an ad in the newspaper for a job at a local nonprofit organization here in Worcester, which is now called 180. So it's a domestic violence um, shelter, as well as um, there's a whole lot of addiction treatment services there as well, both inpatient and residential. Um, and they had received stimulus money, actually, at the time to run um, really what we called housing initiative, which was a family self-sufficiency program. So we were helping families that were coming either out of the shelter or out of treatment facilities um, or folks who were facing eviction notices and we paid part of their rent and utilities in exchange for um, really just going through some life skill classes and trying to help stabilize the situation which is how Amanda and I became connected so she interned and then became just really integral in getting that program up and running. I loved what I did there, um, ended up uh, having an opportunity to work in a vocational high school locally doing a very similar thing, helping those students um, develop the life skills they needed to make it on their own if they were going directly into the workforce. Um, and this whole time I was just always doing some consulting on the side. Um, so my career path has kind of always evolved, but it's been very, it's felt very natural at the time when I look back and describe it, they, they felt like these massive jumps um, in terms of industries. Um, so I started that consulting business, Jay Roberts Consulting, um, really six years ago. I also work in fundraising at a higher education institution here um, where I'm responsible for leading a team that runs, uh, we need to raise about $3 million every year for the operating budget of that institution, which is, which is a real honor of mine to be involved in that as well. Um, but my consulting business helps both for-profits and non-profits 
understand the blend between marketing and fundraising. Um, if it's a nonprofit and then the for-profit side is really working a lot on marketing and communications, whether that's social media, search engine optimization, kind of anything that falls under that. So that's where that's where I'm at. It's It's been a journey. <laughs> it like. really has, yeah. And it's funny because you said your mom found an ad in the newspaper and you were just like, sure, I could do that. <laughs> And I'm so thankful you took that offer because I would have never, you know, I would have had a different path if I hadn't met you. So, <laughs> Well, that particular job um, gifted me one of my best mentors and somebody that I still stay in touch with, which was the executive director. She still is the executive director of that organization. And um, yeah, so I, I think some things, you know, they, they seem kind of like chance at the time, but she gave me the chance of a lifetime. And I don't know that I would be where I'm at today without that role for sure. So. Oh my gosh, I love this. It's such an interesting side of things too. Like, I know that all of those things are, you know, like the where you started in the area of consumer psychology and then that evolution, like you said, it, on the surface, it doesn't look, you know, like it would be natural, but given your skill set and your own experiences, it like just kind of meshed together very well. Yes, it did. It, it's it's always funny when somebody asks me to describe the path because it never sounds like it does. But you're, I'm glad that you caught that. In. I feel like it did mesh. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So today's, you know, our topic today was all about women and leadership. So obviously I can already see like, you know, how this, you know, brought bringing this topic for you came about. But can you share with us just kind of along your path up until this point, what are some adversities that you faced as a woman as you worked your way, you know, up to where you're at in this position of leadership? Sure. I mean, I think I still face a lot of them today. Um, and I think at the beginning, it was a combination of being both a woman and a young professional. Um, I think all young professionals face a lot of similar things to what women continue to face throughout their careers. I'm not sure what that point is where it, it tends to transition for for men, <laughs> where they stop to experience they stop experiencing a lot of what we continue to experience. But I would say um, there's been a couple things. I listened to a really integral um, NPR story early in my career that talked about the tone of our voices, um, and I realized when I started early on, and this is such a consumer psych. This I mean, you'll you'll know immediately why I loved this this story, but. Um, they talked about women in careers, especially young professionals, start talking at a higher tone and we talk really fast. Um, and I was totally doing that. I was in meetings and I was changing the tone of my voice to what I thought it needed to sound like instead of letting it be my natural voice. And they did some research over time with journalists on their own program, um, female journalists, that the lower that their voice was, um, and the, the more slowly that they spoke, um, the more trust the, the listener had in the story. And I thought that was really interesting. And so I said, you know what, in, in meetings, I'm going to I'm going to be really like really aware of that. And I noticed a pretty instant change. And I think there were two things with that. I think it was, yes, the you know, if you if you just are yourself and, and have the confidence to be yourself and don't even if that's just changing your voice, because that's what you think you're supposed to sound like. Um, the more the more yourself you are, I think the more people begin to just naturally trust you. Um, and then, you know, I, I would say the other thing was being was being quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, that was a lesson that that Bobby, that mentor at that organization, really supported me in kind of learning because I was very quick to be defensive and jump in. Um, 
And so, so that was an interesting one for me, but in terms of adversity, oh gosh, I faced a lot. I think it's been everything from, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of it has been from other women. So for me, that's, that's something that is really, um, important to me. I, I lead a team of all women now. Um, and it's really important to me when I see things starting to arise where they might be in competition with each other, or they're acting in a way that just really isn't necessary. Um, and it's natural. It's totally natural. We all do it. And I think men do it too, but I think as women, we're harder on each other. Um, and we feel like we have to fight harder. Right. And so for whatever that reason is. So I would say there's been adversity for me on both sides of that and experiencing that from other women, whether they're at a similar level um, to me and wherever I'm at in my career field or people that are higher higher up than me and people that um, are also, you know, coming up in their careers. I kind of experienced it from all sides there. And, um, and you know, I've been guilty of it myself too. I think, I think we can all look back at times and say like, oh, I wish I would have handled that situation differently. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of interesting experiences from, you know, people making assumptions about why I was promoted, um, people thinking that I didn't qualify for, for a job that I was promoted to take and and really making things a little rough. Um, and you know what? I think, you know, I've watched that experience happen to other people and I think I've I've been I've been lucky to have folks that know that I've experienced that too come to me and ask how do you handle this? And I don't know that I have a perfect answer because every situation is so different. Every environment is so different. But I think the thing that that I try to do is say, I can only control myself. I can only control my own reaction. Um, you know, there's that whole, there's that whole phrase of just put your head down and work. And uh, there's pros and cons to taking that approach. I've seen some cons to that where if you just put your head down and work and focus through it um, and you don't speak up for yourself and the, and the good that you are doing, then you allow people to continue to walk all over you. So I think it's just that really delicate balance of knowing when it's time to say something, time to say in a respectful manner, hey, you know, that was really something that was offensive to me. Um, you know, what can we do to move forward? Uh, one of the things that I always tell people is, if you come at it with a perspective of what's in the best interest of the organization that we're working for, um, it's really hard or the client that we have or the project that we're working on together, it's really hard to justify somebody being negative, right? And so I think that's kind of like, all right, we have a shared goal here. Um, and I've found that to be a successful approach to say, what is our shared goal? How can we better work together to get there? Is there something I can do or change in my communication that would be helpful to you? Um, but not apologizing when you don't need to apologize. Um, that's been really key for me. Like, you know, I, I would often walk into a situation, I'm sorry this happened, or always leading with an apology that I really didn't need to give, but giving that with the assumption that then that would make them give an apology back. And oftentimes they didn't. And so then I was on the defensive again, you know? Um, so I don't know if that helps, but. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I'm a recovering chronic apologizer as well. Like, and then in texting, I'll do it and put like LOL at the end. Like that makes it better. And I'm like, Kelsey, like Amanda will catch me doing it. And she's like, Kelsey, you don't have to apologize. Stop apologizing. <laughs> like, yeah, I think one time I was like, yeah, um, I need you to resend that. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a more and I way. did too. She was like, better. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard because, you know, we're, I, I think it's whatever it is, um, we're, we're people pleasers by nature. 
Um, and so I found myself even when I have to make, like deliver difficult news to any, you know, teams I've managed in the past, um, you know, apologizing, even though it's not something that's, you know, necessarily my fault or we take on responsibility for things that aren't our problem. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. I was going to say, I think it, a lot of times we feel as women afraid to take up space. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, naturally, I feel like often men feel much more comfortable being in the role of taking up space. And so that's where it's easy to kind of just put your head down and apologize because yeah. we're almost like ingrained to be thankful that we're there almost, right? Like, yeah. we, we, oh, we should just be at home taking care of the babies and cooking, but we're right. here. Not that that's a, a conscious thing, but you're right. Like it's a generational kind of thing that is instilled in us to not take up space and not speak up too loud. And so then when we do, you know, sometimes we get labeled as, you know, bitchy or whatever yeah aggressive yeah 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 and it is yeah that's something that's so frustrating I don't know if either of you have read Lean In by Cheryl Sandberg but that was a book that like really changed my life and she talked a lot about just even being willing to sit at the table take a seat at the table you look at meetings and it's often you know men will walk in first with confidence and sit down and not worry about where they're sitting in the room and you watch a lot of women, especially younger professional women, that wait to see where everybody else sits. They'll often sit at the seats along the side. And that's like, sit down at the table, put yourself in the conversation. If you don't put yourself in the conversation, your, your voice isn't going to be heard. Um, so yeah, going along with that, being afraid to take up space thing. I mean, I think that's been a conscious effort on, you know, you have to constantly think about that. Like, am I putting myself in a position where, um, where I can really thrive and my voice can be heard? My dad was a business owner and entrepreneur before he retired. And I remember him talking to me about how you choose where you sit in a room. Um, Those are things that they don't teach you in school. They're certainly not things that many people talk to women about. Um, You know, my dad would always tell me never, you know, if you're going into a sales meeting or, or even, you know, on teams that I've been on, if you're going into a meeting where you might need to have some sort of difficult conversation, don't seat yourself across from that person to make it feel like an attack. Sit next to them. Um, you know, don't sit next to a teammate or a colleague that you trust the most um, because it feels like you're ganging up on people. So, you know, just being really conscious about those things. Um, I'm grateful for both of my parents who are both incredibly hardworking individuals for teaching me things like that because not a lot of people get those little, you know, those little tips that are really huge in terms of being successful. But um not things they teach you in school (laughs) I feel like as women too like when we get those tips like it's great like and they're you know so helpful and can be very empowering and then I think you have to also when I heard you say earlier you're bringing things into your awareness and as women I feel like like, then you add being in leadership on top of that sometimes we can like be hyper vigilant or hyper aware and that can impact our our confidence even though we have the tips of like this is what I need to do and then we can you know, it can impact the way that we show up in in those situations. Totally. And you can throw yourself into this constant questioning. I mean, the whole, I think that's a Brene Brown principle, the whole, the stories I tell myself, right? Like, I mean, if you get so hyper-focused on it, you can start to tell yourself stories and things that are totally not existing. Like they're not happening, right? When you're really aware or you can assume somebody's coming from a bad place. I think that's, that's a big lesson I think I've learned over the last really two years of my career is you cannot assume the worst of someone. You have to work very hard to start first from a standpoint of, okay, I'm going to assume you're coming from a good place. When you're asking that question, it's not always the case, right? But if you start from that, and I think your answers come across as, 
less defensive. That's always a, a term that I hate. Like I hate when someone says, whoa, 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 don't be defensive because it's an instant shutdown, right? Like it, it shuts you down immediately. Um, and it's like, well, I'm not being defensive, you know, and, and if a guy was responding with the same level of question, you'd probably let him ask that question three or four times before you'd say, don't be defensive. Whereas with a female, <laughs> it's typically on time one or two. Um, so I've tried to find ways to, again, change the tone of my voice or the level of my volume or, you know, and I think those are the things um, my husband and I have conversations about this all the time because he's definitely of the school of thought that like, I don't treat any of my employees differently based on their gender. And I think it's things that we aren't necessarily conscious of at all. And I keep telling him, you know, you don't have to think about all these things before you respond, right? Like I'm sitting in a room and thinking, um, you know, if somebody brings up something that I don't agree with, I'm instantly trying to think about how do I deliver this in a way that's actually going to be heard. Um, and those are not thought processes that I think most men have to undergo. Now, I do think young professional men certainly do. They have to think through that process of like, who's in the room? How is this going to impact my career and what I say? What, you know, what's the overall feeling on this issue? Um, but at some point, they almost get permission to to stop worrying about those things. And I, I don't think we ever lose that. <laughs> that was a feeling that was really oh, sorry Amanda no you're fine that was a theme that was coming to mind as you guys were talking and then it just came out even more as you were talking Jean that there's also this innate safety concern mm -hmm. as being a woman in a room full of men mm -hmm. so how much does that play into and I, I know a lot of men don't even think about these things like there, there was a thing going around what would you do if men were disappeared from the earth for 24 hours oh my gosh I would go walked my right, car right. by myself, right? Without yeah. being hypervigilant. So right. I think a lot of that safety concern, even though we don't feel, right, our survival instincts get kind of wacky and our anxiety comes in. And for women, it's so much stronger because it's survival at that point where for more men, it might be, oh, this could be career ruining if I say the wrong thing. Totally. Absolutely. And I think the key there is finding somebody who can really advocate for you. Um, that is a man. Uh, it sounds it sounds kind of almost counterintuitive at first, but there are times when, you know, you know that you're in a room full of people that aren't going to listen to you because of your gender and you need to have somebody um, that you, that you can really count on to say, like, hold on a minute, listen to what she just had to say or, you know, wait, let's take a pause. That sounded like a great idea. Or when somebody you know, I've had plenty of experiences where I've said something, I've brought an idea up, it's been shot down, and then a guy says it five or 10 minutes later. <laughs> and then, oh, great idea. Um, I'm really lucky that my my current supervisor at the institution I work at right now is, is great at this. And, um, you know, we listened to a, a speaker at one of the commencements, I think it was two years ago now. And she, she leads an organization called Posse. It's a Posse Foundation, and they basically work in these big inner city um, areas, and they help they help students who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford college or navigate the college search process. Um, there's a whole I'm totally probably botching everything they do, but they're a wonderful organization, and they and they feed students into the school I work for every year. And um, she spoke at commencement, and she talked about how you need to found, you need to find somebody that's willing to pound the tables for you. 
meaning like stand up, get somebody's attention, slam down and say like, no, you need to listen to what's being said right here. And I'm lucky that I feel like throughout my entire career, I've had people um, that have been willing to do that for me. Um, and especially, especially now. And so, you know, it just, the people that you surround yourself with really do make all the difference. And we're not always in control of that. We're not always in control of who our boss is or who our coworkers are. And that is a bit of luck. And sometimes I think it takes a bit of training. I mean, I have not by any means had to train my current boss to do this, but I've had to do this in the past where I've had to say like, hey, did you notice in that meeting that, um, you know, that person was talking over this other colleague and um, it's always easier to do when you're talking about an experience that happened to someone else that you witnessed and not something that you have that happened to yourself. So I think I've been really careful to kind of take advantage of those moments when I've seen it happen to other people and educate the leaders in the room at the time. And those are those usually need to be one on one conversations that are handled very delicately. But just just to say, hey, I mean, that person completely interrupted her the entire time she was speaking, wasn't really listening to what she was saying. You know, how do we create and then asking a question to put it back on them? How do we create an environment where it's safe for all of us to voice our thoughts and opinions? Um, but there's no perfect answer. <laughs> Find an ally. Yes. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Creating safety. Like what what ways can within your control can you, you know, create that sense of, of safety? And it's hard because we can't go we can't go into those kind of meetings or you know, situations with the like a lot of times we're already aware that some of those you know biases or stereotypes exist but we can't go in focused on on changing that you go in focused on what do i want to get across and then having that ally yes is way more effective and then i that brought me to think about how you, in order to have that ally it's like what did that relationship building with that person outside of that you know group meeting look like you know and Getting, yeah. making that ally at, in the workplace is so important. That's, yeah, and that's that's hard because to be honest, that has become the source of a lot of um, a lot of negativity for me. Like you know, when you when you are aligned with a leader, I think folks who don't feel as closely aligned with said leader um, are jealousy is not the right word because I, I, I don't think anyone is jealous. I think it's like a, a threatened or a you know, I think when you see leadership transitions, there's always, there's, we all have personalities that we get along with better, right? And there's always, when there's a leadership transition, then I think there's also transitions in who their allies are. And um, that's always hard. I mean, I've been a part of that on both sides at multiple organizations where I am closely aligned with the leader or where we just, you know, our personalities don't jive as well. We work well together, but our personalities don't jive to a point where like, you know, that person would be coming to me for thoughts or feedback or, you know, and so I think when you're, when you've been in that role and then all of a sudden you're not, that is a really hard adjustment. And that becomes a place that is very easy for teams to be broken down. Um, and I think what I found there is again, trying to come at things and I, and I haven't been perfect in those situations. There's been mistakes I've made when I've been on both sides of that. And I think what I've learned from both sides of that are again, coming from a place of, we are here to do the same thing. We are here for a common goal. Um, there's going to be times where, you know, my opinion is going to get more attention and there's going to be times when your opinion is going to get more attention and that's fine as long as it works out in the best interest 
of the organization and not assuming that someone has ill intent um, just because they're closely aligned with a leader at the time. Um, that's That's been where a lot of my struggle has come in, has been people thinking like, oh, you're just trying to get close to that leader um, so that you have you're, more influence. You're, Thing. Yeah, and it's it's never the it's that's never been my motivation. Um, I can't speak for anybody else, but that's never been my motivation. Uh, my motivation has been, you know, being in roles where I can make a real difference for the organization. Um, and so I have naturally just a lot of ideas. It's just how my brain works. Um, and and when you have a leader that thinks in that same way, it's easy to be aligned with them. When you have a leader that's not willing to take risks, those have typically been the leaders that I don't align as closely with. And that's been friction and um, yeah, but I, I think we we miss, we really misconstrue the whole situation when we think that people are trying to do that to gain power. And it's not to say that there are people out there that do that type of thing to gain power. I know there are, um, but I think we can't assume that to start about someone. So yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So Jean, what would you consider, like what, are some tips that you would give our listeners, our community who may be experiencing, you know, or just for future reference, who anyone who may experience these or other roadblocks in their career? Oh, find someone to talk to. Um, you you all know this better than anybody. The the more that you keep this held up and held inside, I think the harder the harder it becomes to process through it, and you just let it roll over in your own head with no no unbiased perspective to check yourself against. So I think that's my my biggest piece of advice to start. Um, definitely find an ally and and don't be, don't look for that ally to be somebody that like, just don't assume that your boss is going to be the ally, I guess. Um, you know, I think you have to look to see first, is it some, like who is closely aligned with your, with your values and who's closely aligned to help you succeed? And it might not always be your supervisor. I think it's, a harder road when it's not your supervisor, but I would definitely say look for an ally. Um, and then always look to be supportive of the other women in your organization. Um, again, I, I told you I manage a team of all females now. Actually, the, the last six teams I've worked with, now that I think about it, <laughs> have all been females. Um, and I, it's wonderful. It's, it's honestly like some of my most fun moments and wins because I think as women we're so excited to collectively celebrate each other just as much as we are critical and hard on each other we're also so excited to celebrate wins together and I think it's so rewarding um sorry one other consumer psych thing there's there's a there's this interesting principle that says that men think about career decisions um in the form of a ladder and women think about them in form of a web um, and not just career decisions, but just how they interact with each other. And so this was actually something I learned during coaching. I coach volleyball and they were basically saying when you're coaching a team of women, they think about it like a web. And so if you, um, if you really pay attention or, or um, throw a lot of attention to someone for a positive reason, it's just as uncomfortable for the group as if you throw a lot of attention to somebody for a negative reason because they like, you know, um, they like the whole high tides raise all boats mentality of, yes, this person led this project, but you all were a part of it. Um, and so let's celebrate that together. Whereas men are more like, I'll jump over my best friend to keep moving up. And I still love that person. And that person still loves me for knocking them down, but I'm mm -hmm. fine with getting the attention. Um, and so I think you just have to think about what motivates people. 
Um, and, and there's not, you know, I always hate saying like, just because of a specific gender, all people in that gender are motivated for the same reasons. They're not, but you know, in general, that's kind of what we know from research. And I think, um, with a team of all females, it's been some of the most rewarding work I've ever done. It's been some of the most difficult at times, but it's also been some of the most rewarding. And the team that I manage now is amazingly um, gelled, right? And I think that, and we've we've hired two new people and brought them on in the middle of a pandemic. They started in May and we trained them completely virtually. They've not met the team. They hadn't met the team until the summer when we could safely do so outside. And um, you know, it's some of the most rewarding work. So I think finding allies, finding trusted trusted people, um, and supporting supporting people when you, when you get wins, and keeping an eye out for women that are coming up behind you. I don't mean that in a professional sense, like they're at a lower rank, but I mean younger professionals that are coming into the career, um, and and just saying, you know what, you might experience these things, or if you see it, go find them privately and say, hey, I saw what happened there. Can I be helpful? How can I be helpful? Um, and give them, you know, tell them they're not alone, tell them what's happened to you. Um, I think the more that we know that we're not alone in this um, and we can help each other navigate it, the better it is for our own psyche to know, like, this is not just something I did wrong. Yeah, that's where we're at in the mental health field. Like, honestly, I know I can't save them all, right? But I get the most reward when someone does their own healing and mm -hmm. has the light bulbs. And then they just go start sharing it with other people and they come back to session and they're like, I never talked to my family about this, but my sister-in-law also really has bad anxiety and she didn't realize it. Right. And so it's like, if we don't talk about it, it's a scary unknown that yeah. we're afraid to even approach. And when you open up the doors and talk about things, it's like, oh, you too, you too. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're in this together. Now, what do we do about it? Yes, absolutely. I have a, I have a coworker at the institution that I work at that has, been another female that has um, kind of watched me from a distance. I would say we had mutual friends um, growing up, and we weren't we weren't expecting to ever work together. So it was like a, you know, we knew each other from a distance, and we saw what was happening, and then we ended up working together. And that has been one of the most rewarding professional relationships because she had context. Like she knew who I was as a person first, right? And I think that's made. A huge difference for our our co-working relationship because instead of it being somebody that came in and oh might just be trying to institute a whole lot of change um you know she knew that i was coming from a good perspective and, and that taught me a lot of learning like okay the difference between you know her reaction to me is because she knows me as a person so maybe i need to spend some more time you know just sitting down with people and learning more about who they are and i think that's as a leader that's really important we jump first to task um, task first, get this done. What do we need to do? What's our to-do list for this project? And we don't spend time getting to know who our colleagues really are. And when you know who they are and you learn more about what makes them tick or what's important to them, um, it becomes really difficult to jump to a negative conclusion for a reason that they would have done something. Um, so I learned a lot from her just, just in that. I've never told her that. I probably should tell her that, but, <laughs> um, it's just, you know, in that, that, co-working relationship, both my supervisor who's willing to, you know, kind of, like I said, pound the tables for me, as well as, um, as well as her who's willing to, you know, I think when, when folks might have not understood a motivation for a decision, you know, she was willing to stand up and, and say like, okay, it might not be coming from a bad place. Like let's, let's ask her. <laughs> so communicating is always, is always key, but I'm super grateful for that as well.
I think that brings up an interesting point, Jean, because I see it happen more and more now, you know, being in leadership, being in supervising roles in the past myself, you know, I might have an employee that had some personal issues going on and they would come and try to tell me. And I was trained, although I wasn't good at it because that's not who I am as a person. I was trained. Okay. Do you need time off? Do you need me to cover your shift? Do you need, Mm -hmm. right? It was like, you don't open up those doors. That's not professional right and so I think that's part of the key too is that as a society we have to realize these are human beings that we're working with and we have to treat them like human beings and relate to them and yes you have to have boundaries right you have to have a professional working relationship and it's a fine balance too but that's I wanted to touch on that because I think I think we're getting better as a society I'm noticing more progression in that Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if there's actually like a playbook Right. I'm not sure if anyone's figured out how do we change that organizationally where we can stick with like boundaries and rules and discipline with humanizing people. Totally. And I mean, you it's hard to be vulnerable, especially to a supervisor, because you open yourself up for if I tell them this is going on, do they assume then that that's it? playing into my performance or, you know, and so you do you're you open yourself up. It's it's vulnerability. It's tough. Um, you're totally right, Amanda, there has to be boundaries. And I'm not by any means suggesting that anyone go and spill everything about themselves to their colleagues. But, you know, I think just just realizing I think if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's been, yes, we are all humans. And, you know, I think when we we've been really intentional on our team to have weekly conversations about how's everyone feeling? um, You know, what's, what's going on that the pandemic has obviously caused stress and strain. We've got, you know, team members whose family members are ill. Um, We've got team members who, like myself, are working from home with their kids running around. I mean, it, it's a whole nother level of stress. And so I've been so grateful that we've at least, uh, I think, as, as really working professionals become a little bit more comfortable with understanding that there needs to be some flexibility, we've become less rigid, because these are things we can't control. Um, And I think, Part of that is just trying to learn more about people. I mean, I was on a call and people were laughing about like how much more they feel like they know people just from seeing their houses on Zoom calls, right? We say this all the time about doing telehealth with our clients. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, but even that without having a conversation, I think it gives you a window into their life and maybe some perspective on things that are important to them. Like, I noticed you've got a wall of books behind you. What's the last book that you've read that you found interesting? Or it looks like, you know, you really like to travel. I see a map and, you know, so I think it just, it gives you, it gives you such an opportunity to learn more about people in a way that is less threatening and not something that, you know, you feel like somebody can hold against you at some point. Um, But that's been, I think that's been key in our team um, gelling over this pandemic has just been, you know, giving ourselves grace. Um, you know, knowing that my toddlers are going to come in the room screaming in the background in the middle of a meeting and I'm going to have to mute myself for five minutes, you know, those types of things. Um, yeah, I think we need to give ourselves grace. That's a big, a big thing. Okay. Okay. We could talk forever, honestly. I know. I have like, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for being here. Obviously. Do you have anything we didn't cover? Any last minute tips, advice, anything you want to throw out? to our community before we close up? Sure. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. These are, and thanks for being willing to have this conversation. Um, and I will say to anybody listening, um, these, these are these are difficult topics to talk through. Um, if you're a male listening to this, um, I think, 
becoming an ally is important and reaching out to a trusted, you know, female colleague and asking how you can do that. Um, even if that colleague doesn't feel like she needs it, but you know, how can you do that for women in the workplace? And I think women, um, you know, we need to look out for each other. Uh, we need to admit that we haven't always been perfect at it. You know, we're, we're not perfect humans. So I think give yourself the grace to know if you've made mistakes, reach out and make those right. Um, but then just be very committed to, you know, helping other people grow and succeed as, as leaders. Um, the last thing I'll say, Amanda, since you said I could give a plug. <laughs> and give a plug. <laughs> we, we are starting um, a mastermind. So I, um, I collaborate with uh, this wonderful strategist. Her name's Lauren Shippey. Um, if you go to storywork.co, you'll see her um you'll see her awesome website but we we co-lead a mastermind um specifically for nonprofits but she also leads a mastermind on her own for entrepreneurs and business owners um and they're both kicking off new rounds um very soon in the next couple weeks and we really walk through i you know Lauren is a an incredible business strategist she co-leads a family investment office and she's been involved with scaling a lot of businesses um a lot of startups and, and nonprofits and i've learned so much from her and we walk through this whole process of, you know, who is your target audience persona? Uh, what is the journey map to finding you? And how do we close those gaps where they might, you know, break away and not decide to move forward with your services um, or your nonprofit or give to your nonprofit, whatever that may, whatever that scenario might be. Um, an ecosystem mapping. So it's really this whole kind of do it with you model of here's how you set up a very strategic identity based um, strategy for you to move forward with your business or nonprofit. And it's been the most, one of the most rewarding things that I get to do with my time is to watch these connections between um, seemingly very different organizations and seemingly very different businesses and how they add value. Um, so it's just 90 minutes once a month. Um, so again, it's at storywork.co. You'll be able to find the masterminds link there. And there's quite a few options and you can find one that, that fits your field and your career. Um, but these types of topics are things we discuss on there too. Um, and so, you know, how can we better support our employees, our teams, uh, those types of things. And it's, it's nice to have, to have folks that are completely unbiased, that aren't connected to your organization at all, that are completely, you know, hold, hold confidence, confidentiality as key. Um, it's just a nice, I would say self-care, um, and also opportunity to work on your business and not in it. Um, which I think is is really key and something that especially female leaders uh, do not do, right? We, we are not the best about saying, all right, I'm going to set some time aside today to work on my business. It's like, what do I need to get done to work in the business? Um, and I think oftentimes not taking that time for intentional, like strategic work can hold us back from growth. Um, so that's my plug. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will make sure I link that in the um, show notes so that everyone can see. Um, I appreciate you being here again. Thank you so much for your words. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. <laughs> and for our community, make sure you stay tuned. Next week, we are going to have a um, someone I went to my master's program with. It's actually uh, a male social worker, which is rare in our field. He's a clinical social worker. He does therapy. Um, he's going to talk about what how you can successfully make a change that lasts because I know a lot of people have a really hard time making any kind of change. So just kind of the basics of how we can make a change and one that'll be long-term. So make sure you stand for that and like, comment, subscribe. So you don't miss any future episodes and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.